0: We've been going through the book of Joshua, and it has turned out to be a little bit more over my head than I had thought. Some of you are asking questions that, I don't know the answer. But we trust it's true. And we put our faith in what is written. And we question Joshua, where was his head? Where was his spirit? He's a slow learner, somewhat. In some ways, he's a champion. But again, today, we find out he missed one segment of the part of God in bringing them into victory in conquest. They hadn't counted on diplomatic arrangements. It was just about going and conquer. But you know, sometimes just going in with your sword drawn and just the word of God is called the sword, right? And just whacking away at people and saying, you must be saved, otherwise you'll perish. That's not what the gospel is about. It really is about diplomacy. Diplomacy in the sense of knowing where people are and appropriately assessing and understanding that some people really want to be led to Jesus. Rather than, here, here's a tract, read it. Here, here, what about you? Here, you can one. And then, after you've spent an afternoon passing out tracts, you look down the street, and there's all the tracts on the sidewalk. How do I know? I've done that, and I thought, Why am I doing this? I went to a church during a uh, part of my ministry here in Japan. We were doing a church growth statistic gathering of the fastest growing churches in Japan. And there were quite a few, by the way. This was back in the 80s. And this one church that I went to down in the Nagoya area was really up and coming. So we wanted to find out what is making this church tick. And in that interview with the pastor, we sat down and I asked him a question. I said, what is the secret or what is the key point of your growth in this church? And he said, well, it's evangelism. And I said, what what ways? And he says, well, we go out on the streets. And I kind of interrupted and said, pass out tracts. And he said, oh, no, 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 we don't pass out tracts. In fact, we have a rule in our church. You cannot hand someone a tract or a little booklet to tell them how to come to Jesus until you have maintained or have a relationship with them. And I thought, well, that'll take you 10 years. Developing a relationship with the Japanese, it just doesn't happen overnight, right? All Japanese said, amen. (laughs) It it takes time. I said, well, how does that work? And he says, very effectively. We instruct our people, don't just hand out the tracks like this. You'll just see the street littered with your tracks after that afternoon. I said, oh, yeah, I've done that. He says, that is wrong. And I said, well, you said develop a relationship with them." He says, yes, we look for people on the street who may need someone to help them. A mother with a little baby in the stroller and a little one hanging on to, and they're going up the steps. This was before there were elevators in the ekis by the way, folks. And how is she supposed to drag a stroller up the steps, plus this little one. So what you do is you come up to her, can I help you? Carries the stroller up Well, she has her little baby and the little one by the hand going up the steps. And then at the top of the steps, she's just, oh, thank you. Oh, Sumi Masen, you know, all of this. Ah, you have a relationship with her by the fact that you've helped her out. So she says, Well, can I do something for you? Here's, here's some cookies I just bought. No, 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 no. We want to just give you this little tract about Jesus Christ, who wants us to be a friend to you. And so they give that tract. And what's she going to do? She takes that tract because of the relationship. And that is so, so important in evangelism in Japan. And you notice, we don't ask you to just go out and hand out the tracts here, there, and everywhere. That is not the way to evangelize in Japan. Joshua is learning about relationships, diplomacy, not just going in with his sword and slashing and cutting, but to really understand where people are. He was a warrior, remember, not a shepherd. And if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Amen. For whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. In six days he created heaven and earth. On the seventh day he rested. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. It's a lot of work resting. But it is resting in the one who can give us true rest. Our outline today is from Joshua 9, 1-27, to but we're going to start with a few verses in Exodus. The guile of the Gibeonites the law of the land, the lie and the covenant, the place he would choose. Exodus 23 is a promise. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little, until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. Those are God's words. Those are timed words. Those were words that were set in, well, I gotta get all this box of tracks out No you don't. This is God's work, and God builds relationships with people, your neighbors, those you work with, those you go to school with. That's evangelism opportunities. When you have an opportunity, just not sometimes to even speak, but just do an act of kindness in the name of Jesus. The guile of the Gibeonites. Anybody know what the word guile means? Trickiness, sneaky, underhanded, trying to deceive you. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, and on all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perseite, the Hivite, the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. They had heard about Jericho and of I, conquests of Israel. Word had gotten around. Second Corinthians 120 says, For all the promises of God are yes in Christ, and through Him our Amen is spoken to the glory of God. And in the book of Joshua, over and over and over again, God says, I will give you. It's not, you will take. I will give you. The credit is to Him. Not to Joshua, not to the people of Israel. It's to God himself. And they needed to know that. And if we are going to be successful in our Christian life, we'll need to come to that place as well. But we know that I cannot live the Christian life. It's his life through me. It's his Holy Spirit and His Word through me. And I need to be that prepared vessel, that prepared warrior, that person who's called to a certain place. Each of you have that place where you live week after week, day by day. You bring the presence of God in your workplace. You bring the presence of God in your relationships with your friends. That is what evangelism is about. Occupying. Not just cutting somebody's head off or forcing them to do something that they don't want to do. It's occupying. And you can be sitting next to someone in your classroom or in your office. And be that witness when God gives you the opportunity. And it's so much easier to do evangelism that way than it is to go out on the streets and pass the tracks out. Now I'm not saying, don't misquote me or misunderstand me, I'm not saying that tracks are no good. Because they are. They've got God's word printed in them. And they are useful for showing somebody But remember, we are a presence. We are a present for those around us, that Jesus has called us to be. Joshua had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. The army of Israel had fought six major battles before they even got into the Promised Land. They were battle-ready. The three battles they had already fought had taught them some lessons, but there are more lessons to learn as they face the hordes of enemies ahead of them. So it is with us. And so, here they are, having won two battles, three battles actually, one they lost, two they won. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, worn out clothes on themselves and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living in our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? Number one, they already had a hint that there was possibly a lie in the making here. And that sometimes happens in our experience here as believers. When God speaks to us sometimes, in fact the scripture talks about it, he often speaks in a still, small voice. I have never in my Christian life heard the audible voice of God. Have you? But I imagine and I know that if you are a true believer, you have heard that small, still voice. Speak to him. Share something with him. Or sometimes it's not even a word. It's just a sense. Here's a man who needs Jesus. He's got a sad countenance. He's in a store, and he's beginning to ask for some cards. And he gets the cards. And I hear him say, I want these cards made in special Japanese paper for the death of my wife. And I heard that as I was leaving the store and I walked out and I heard in a small, still voice, go back to him and talk with him, pray with him. His wife, with three children, his wife had passed away and he was from France. He was a well-known potter in the town of uh, pottery Town, Mashko. Mashko yes. Anyway, he was a very famous potter. I didn't know that, and so I said, uh, what is your name? And he said, Pierre. And I said, well, I'm Ron, and I overheard you tell the clerk that these cards were for your wife who has just passed away. Can I pray for you? And he said, would you? And I said, yes. So I prayed for him, right there in the store, and the clerk was just on the other side of the counter. And I'm crying now, he was crying then. And so I gave him my card, and I said, please come, and I'd like to meet with you again. And uh, we left, and a few weeks later, a girl who was in our church at Minimachi MCC in uh, Utsunomiya was also from France, And she was telling us about a man that she knew from France who had these three children, but his wife died. And I said, I've met him. And she said, you did? And I said, yes, I prayed for him. And she said, well, he said someone prayed for him. And I said, well, I'm glad he's telling people about that. Well, she had the opportunity of sharing the Lord with him more. She was just a brand new Christian herself. And Pierre came to the Lord. And I had the privilege of marrying them about a year or so later. And she raised those three children. Pierre's now gone to be with the Lord. But just a meeting in a famous washi paper factory. It just takes those moments. Take those moments. Katie and I And I'm not boasting about us, but this is our lifestyle. We don't like Starbucks and what they represent. But you know what? A lot of other people do. And it's a good place to meet Japanese. And we have shared a lot with this one down the street. And they owe us a lot. (laughs) But we're banking that in heaven. Because we've met people there at Starbucks, and in fact, even led a lady to the Lord at Starbucks. To God be the glory. People are hungry. You just have to get between them and their tate mai. You have to get to their heart. It's very easy for us as Gaijin to get into their hearts. The Lord does work in that. Use it. Don't abuse it. Perhaps you are living in our land. How shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sheon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So the people of Israel were coming back to this country that was called the Promised Land. But it was inhabited by a number of Gentiles, worshippers of false gods, immoral people. And God had promised this land to his children. And these people were enemies of Israel. But they were not without an excuse. They knew the gospel. At least they knew about the conquests and the hand of God in their life. The true God, the living God, the creator God. They knew about that. So they were without an excuse. And they had the audacity to say, we are your servants. That was a key for Joshua to pick up on. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now then make a covenant with us. And then they described, This is our bread, it was warm when we took it, for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you, and now behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins which we filled were new, and behold, they are torn, and these are our clothes and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Joshua, a warrior, a follower of the living God, a great man of faith, but he blew it. He did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua makes peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation threw in with Joshua and made an oath to them. It came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now, their cities were Gibeon and Shepherel and Biroth and Kiiroth Jerem. The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had spoken to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. That last statement: these were practiced grumblers. They had learned it from their parents. For 40 years, their parents grumbled against Moses. So here we go again. Is this another 40 years of grumbling? But the the key point here is that these cities that they were from were three cities in the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This isn't just something that was thought up during the time that they were wandering in the desert. This is God's covenant promise from generations and generations previous. And this is serious business. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, this is the leaders of Israel, the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, so that the wrath will not be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. The leaders said to them, Let them live. So they become hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you? when you are living within our land. I struggled over this all week long. Why would they, meaning Israel, go into this forbidden alliance with this ungodly people and make a covenant with them without asking the Lord? This is serious business. And we do this often in our Christian lives. I do. Where I don't stop and say, Lord, is this what you want us to do? And sometimes it may seem very insignificant and small. Do I have to really pray about this? No, let's just go ahead and sign this contract. This contract's a great contract for this article that we want to buy. Well, then you find out You're committed for several payments, and you have bought something that you really didn't want. And you can't take it back. And particularly here in Japan, it's been very hard to get back what you've already bought. Now therefore, you are cursed, and you shall never cease from being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. What a direction they are going with this people. And it seemed to me they're building an even deeper alliance by letting them be in among them. Why not say, okay, you're banished to your cities. But God has a lesson here for us to learn. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told our servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you, Therefore we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and have done this thing. Can't you understand our plight? Now behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. And thus he did to them, and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel. And they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day, in the place which He chose. And when I got to digging into that part of the message, Katie and I went back and forth, back and forth on this. How could they bring these people right into something that was holy to them, the tabernacle and the altar, to be woodcutters for the altar fires, the sacrifices, and to be water carriers for the laver, how could they have gone so deep and so close to the presence of a holy God? Incredible, isn't it? How does God rationalize that? Well, I think it was a place of mercy and grace. It's to show us a picture of ourselves. All of us here are guiding to God. Strangers. We were once strangers, but now we are the children of God. And so, even in ancient Israel, the gospel was there. It was there full-blown. Not in the concept of, What we like to think of, well, raising your hand and saying, I want to accept Jesus. And I've done that in this congregation. Why not say, well, you can build bonfires for all of the meals so that the Israeli housewives don't have to build a fire. Bring wood for me for my meal that I have to cook. No, they were brought right next to the tabernacle. Well, actually, even in the temple, the Gibeonites were in that house right near to the temple. Look it up. This is a picture of God's holiness manifested. He is approachable to anyone, even during Old Testament Jedi. Remember Rahab what happened to her. She became part of the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus. And so God is not unreachable from the most vile person you know of. Anyone, anyone may come and receive salvation from a God who created us and can give us eternal life. And forgive all our sins, whatever they be. That is his heart. For God so loved the world. He's the God of love for the whole world. Well, I hate the Koreans, or I hate the Chinese, or I hate... No. No. That is not the God I know. I think that we sometimes close ourselves into our nice fellowship, particularly down here in this cozy basement. This is where we're comfortable. And out tomorrow morning, I've got to go out to that nasty office that I'm working in with those people that don't love me and don't regard me as anything because I'm a Christian. God wants us to get out of that kind of mentality and know His presence In us being brought to our colleagues at school or shopping or in the office or even in your home. God's love is there, His power is there, His presence is there, His holiness is there. Come on brothers and sisters, this is the hour when our world is beginning to see the very things that we were talking about just a few months ago in the Book of Revelation. Make no mistake. Coronavirus is nothing compared to what's coming in the Book of Revelation. We as believers need to be prepared. This is just the beginning, I believe. And I'm not somebody that will go out on the street with a big PA thing and say, the world's coming to an end. The world's coming to an end. No. But building a relationship, saying, you know, I hear your heart, brother, sister, but there's someone who cares about you, and that's my Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for me, and forgave me all my sin. He can do the same for you. Joshua's story. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel of Joshua and that he's demonstrated to us his frailty, but his trust. And you've allowed him to be a leader a renowned leader, an example of the believers. Anoint these words to our hearts this week as we go into the world. May there be opportunity for all of us to be your salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen.